Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is David and I'm the CEO here at Church Home and I'm so glad that you joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message from Judah around the person of Jesus and his love for you. And hey, if we can serve you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out and chat with a pastor on our pastor chat tool, which you can find on our website or on the Church Home app. And if you've been impacted in any way by this message, we wanna invite you to join those who so generously give to tell the story of Jesus across this globe. Go ahead and visit us on churchhome.org give or text the word generosity to 97,000. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this message. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you joined us. And you may not know, you have just jumped in on episode number three, part number three, in a collection of five messages, five sermons that we're entitling, They Don't Know What They're Doing, or We Don't Know What We're Doing, or I Don't Know What I'm Doing, which of course is taken from probably the most important sentence ever uttered in human history. Jesus, while being nailed to a cross by Roman soldiers, said over and over, the scripture says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Over and over, he said, Father, Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I think that sentence can change the whole view of yourself and your world. How do you view your world? How do you view yourself? I think within this sentence is five views of the world that can completely change your journey here, can completely change your life experience on earth. The five parts that we've broken up to have literally changed my life. The first one is, I have a father. The second one is, I am forgiven. The third one, which we're going to touch on right now, is I am them. The fourth one is, I'm not what I do. And lastly, number five, I am tempted to save myself. These five worldviews have completely changed my life. I'm so excited to share these with you. If you haven't already, uh, installation number one and installation number two, like I just changed what I call them, sermons, installations, episodes, but the first two talks have already been put online. You can access those. This is view or vista number three. I am them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Them. Who is them? I'll tell you who them is. Them is you, and them is me. I'm going to say it again. Them is you, and them is me. The other day, I took an unplanned Sunday afternoon nap, aided by a perfectly, um, perfect volume level golf broadcast. I was watching some golf on TV, and before I knew it, I woke up from what was probably a two-hour nap. Now, to all those out there who are nappers, there are levels to napping, and we have to express this right here, right now. And it usually depends on your age, but, you know, naps 
when you're young can be quicker, but as you get older, naps, well, naps can last all night, right? Naps can start at like 4 p.m., and before you know it, you're waking up and it's 6 a.m. the next morning. The other night, I thought I would just kind of rest my eyes at approximately 8 p.m., and I woke up the next morning, naps. I remember watching my dad growing up, taking naps Sunday afternoon. He was a preacher, so he'd preach, and then we would get home, and we'd turn on golf or turn on football, and uh, there would be my dad, and almost always, he would you know, put his hands like this or like this, and he would fall asleep. And I remember just watching him as a kid thinking, that's so weird. Like, my dad just, like, falls asleep. It's like 3 p.m., Dad. Like, the sun's still up. There's things to do. Come on. The game's on. But almost like clockwork, he'd fall asleep. Fast forward many, many years later, and there I am with my own teenage kids. Sunday afternoon, after preaching a sermon, I got golf on. And guess who falls asleep with his hands folded on his chest. I woke up, and to my utter shock, I realized I am my father. I have literally actually become my father. DNA is a powerful thing. I mean, it is wild. I am, I am hearing myself. Come on, some parents out there, you know what I'm talking about. I'm hearing myself forbatim saying exact sentences phrases and statements to my kids. It's unbelievable. Uh, recently, I was watching some content or maybe it was some social media platform and I literally turned to my wife and said, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And I was like, oh no, that is exactly what my dad said about, I don't know, eBay. You know, like it, it was un. But it's like what my dad said about MySpace. Well, nobody got it. But, but the point is, like, it was just like, man, DNA is powerful. It's funny because so many of us will disagree with our parents. Maybe for some of you, there's a lot of hurt there. And you just, the last thing you want to be is like your parent. But here comes DNA. And the truth is, Oftentimes, the things that I didn't like about my dad, I discovered are in me. The truth is, we're so connected, man. We're so connected. Them, that you are the same. You're the same. It's so interesting because throughout the history of human beings and this place called Earth, we are famous. We are historically well known for creating categories and, and, and rooms and spaces where some are allowed and some are not. For thousands of years, we have been rating ourselves, ranking ourselves, classifying ourselves, barricading ourselves, fencing ourselves, right? We, we have been dividing ourselves for nearly as long as history records. And so we start to believe something that in fact isn't true. And that is that we are not the same. Now, of course, scientifically, we can argue 
the originality of the thumbprint, and beyond. You are, in fact, a unique and peculiar creation of God, and nobody is like you in the sense of your originality and the unique expression of a human being that you are. And yet, in so many ways, we are the same. We are the same. One old preacher used to say, well, if you go back far enough, we're all from the same family. You just gotta go back far enough. You go back far enough to an Adam and an Eve, and before you know it, oh man, we are all a part of the same family. In truth, if I'm really honest, when we despise fellow human beings, all the research, all the smart people say it is most likely a direct result of despising something in ourselves. It's actually we are not pleased with ourselves, and so we project, and so we persist as human beings, and we say, I don't like them, and I don't like her, and I don't like him, and I don't understand. We choose sides. We choose categories. In some cases, we choose colors, and we decide that's who I am. And we are unwilling to listen, learn, grow, and understand one another. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You hear that prayer, you hear that cry, you hear that statement from Jesus, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't know what they're doing. Who's the them in the most important sentence uttered in human history? Who is the them? And if you aren't the them, and if I'm not the them, maybe that's the problem. If you've heard that statement, one of the seven statements Jesus uttered while hanging six hours on the middle cross, if you've ever heard that statement, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and applied it to people, other people, therein lies the breakdown and the error, because the them Jesus is praying about, the them Jesus is speaking about, is you and me. Do you know what you're doing? Really? Big picture? Eternally? Grand scheme? Do we really know what we're doing? The answer is, no, we don't. Not really. No. We are the them, you are the them, and I am the them. Of course I woke up with my hands on my chest in almost the identical posture of my dad who I made jokes about as a kid as he was fast asleep at 3.30 p.m. on our couch nearly every Sunday afternoon. Why? Because we are so much the same. We're so much the same. I want to read a scripture to you that, frankly, is deeply impacting and deeply moving. Oftentimes, we'll read scriptures and try to explain them, and then sometimes you read scriptures that seem to explain themselves. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 4, and starting with verse 1, it reads this. In light of all this, the writer says, here's what I want you to do while I'm locked up here, Paul writing, a prisoner for the master. I want you to get out there 
walk. Uh, Better yet, run. Run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want you, anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark what you do with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily. Pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Wow. You're all called to travel on the same road, you know, and in the same direction. So so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, father of us all, who rules over all and works through all and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same, the scripture says, because out of the generosity of Jesus, each of us was given his own gift. I mean, that just has to kind of sink in for a second. In fact, let's read it again. Ephesians chapter four, we'll start in verse one. I'll read a little bit faster this time, but let this soak in. In light of all this church home, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up over here as a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there, walk, better yet run, on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off some down, down some path that absolutely goes nowhere. And mark what you do with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love and learning alerting one another and noticing differences and be quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. Inwardly, stay together. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of us all, who rules over all, works through all, is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. It doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same, because out of the generosity of Jesus, Each one of us is given his own gift, talent, and ability. What? So I say it again. You are them. We are called to interconnectedness. We are called to continuity. We're called to confluence. We're called to unity. Called to synergy. This is what God's called us to. We weren't called to subcultures and classifications and rankings of human beings. Oh, sure, there's world rankings for tennis players and golf players and soccer players. and bat- But in real life, we're not supposed to rank each other, but we do. In real life, we're not supposed to classify each other and call some people significant, important, and great, and other people common and not important and easily overlooked and missed. That's not what we're called to. You're all traveling the same road, going the same direction. That's for everyone who has acknowledged there's a creator. We're all going the same direction, the path of love, the trail of love, love and serve one another. Go out of your way, the scripture says, to serve each other, take care of each other, and please look for breaches, look for breakdowns, and make sure you mend Fences. Not interesting. You are them. 
Here's a statement that is more true than it's not. I am you and you are me. Now, there's a lot of things about that statement that if you're watching right now, you're like, dude, I'm definitely not you. Okay, I'm definitely not you. I do not talk, 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 I do not talk incessantly like you do. Fair enough. But in the grand scheme of things, what is more true than it's not, maybe you don't have brown eyes. Maybe you're not six foot seven. All right, I'm six two. But you, you know, whatever it is, you 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 can say, well, I'm not. But yet, our similarities are far more than our differences. That, of course, is even scientifically proven. We are so similar, it's scary. Scientifically and spiritually, we're from the same family. We're from the same category. The human being, the image bearer on earth. How similar and same we are. I want to take you to a story, and I won't read from this story, but it's a story that Jesus is compelled to tell. He, he's the author. It's a, it's a parable. He's compelled to tell it because he notices that there are complacent people who are complacently pleased with their uh, moral lifestyle. And the Bible says because they were so complacent, complacent means stagnant and settled, feel like they were completed and done. So they believe in this moral high ground and they looked down their noses at what the scripture says, the common people. Jesus saw this trend. He saw this dynamic of these elite uh, moral high ground people looking down their noses at the common people, and he thought, this is not right. This is not good. Now, I have got to stop right here in this sermon and just say, buckle your proverbial seatbelt. Because the waters we are about to wade into might be a little bit uh, confrontative. Not even sure that's a word. <laughs> might be a little bit kind of bombastic. Might, be a, might hit home a little bit too close. Literally, Jesus didn't like this delta that some 2,000 years ago was in the environment he was in. You had these people who thought themselves to be better than others, above others, more godly than others. And so he told a story. And the story has church in it and prayer in it. He said two, two men went to the synagogue, went to the temple to pray. The first man is a deeply, deeply religious man who probably looked the part as well. And the Bible says, Jesus says, and I quote, he posed and prayed. And you know what his prayer was? God, thank you that I'm not a crook, a criminal, a bad guy like these other people. In fact, Jesus says in his parable, the religious elite moral high ground guy looked across and saw the other guy who was a 
tax collector of sorts and said, thank you, I'm not like him. Then the camera pans over to the man who's not posed in praying, but slumped in the shadows of the synagogue, in the corner, if you will. Unable to lift his head to pray, he murmurs and mutters under his breath, oh God, save me, I'm a wreck, I'm a nightmare, not a good person. Now in the story, if you asked anyone, particularly in this part of the world, which one are you? Are you the guy with the cool clothes? Got it all together? Perfectly put together? God, thank you. Are you the guy slumped in the shadows? Inherently, many of us, particularly Christians, Jesus followers, we identify with the man who's posed and praying. We don't identify with the man slumped in the shadows, but Jesus concludes his story by saying to his listening audience, which of those men received righteousness from God, the gift of righteousness, alluding now to the work that Jesus would do on the cross? He says, which man left having received righteousness? He said, I assure you, it's the man slumped in the shadows. I mean, everyone's worldview starts to shatter and crumble and dissolve because it's like, wait, what? No, I thought it was about the guy that goes to church all the time. I didn't think it was about the guy that cheats people out of money. Aren't you supposed to be, you know, you know how we do here. We tell people, you're a good guy, good guy. Oh, that guy's a good guy. When in reality, is there such a thing? We do good things. But the Bible says everybody on earth, their heart is wicked and deceitful. We can't even understand our own heart desires to serve ourselves. You are them. I am you and you are me. No, that's actually true. And yet, this man thinks himself to be better than that man. And notice what Jesus is opposing, if you will. Complacency, complacency that leads to contempt. Complacency that leads, what is contempt? To treat someone as less than human, to see someone as less than human. Well, you know how they are, them are, taking individuals and making them just a category or a brand or a group, when in reality, every human being is their own peculiar, unique expression of God's image. Wow. Suddenly, if you are not them, you are susceptible to all kinds of forms of, well, oppression, for instance. We start to oppress one another. And the reality is those are deficient disorders. We feel deficient within ourselves. So we tell ourselves that our performance makes us elite. Our 
heritage, our whatever it might be, our prayers, our work, our knowledge, our perspective, whatever it is, our membership, whatever it is. And here's what I fear, church, is that it leads to one of the great enemies of the plan and purpose of God on this earth, complacency, to be complacent, to be inactive, to be dismissive, to be distant. So we remove ourselves from our fellow man. We remove ourselves from those who slump in the shadows and pray broken prayers. For we pose and pray. and We pray prayers that are ornate and stunning and godly. And yet, the Bible says that God is with the human slumped in the shadows, barely able to utter broken, unsophisticated prayers. The scripture says, you are the man or woman slumped in the shadows, praying broken prayers that all have erred, served themselves, hurt themselves and others. And yet, many of us persist believing that we are elite and we are above others. Do you believe that you have knowledge that makes you better than others? Do you believe that you have some ethic or moral that makes you better than others? Do you see yourself as smarter than the common man? Do you see yourself as uh, more wise, more deserving, more, well, I earned it and I deserved it. These are the thoughts and views and worldviews and vistas and concepts that lead us to division and pain and oppression. I think sometimes we think that things like racism and injustice in the world are the direct results of a few maniacal, narcissistic leaders or humans, when in reality, the potential for hate and division is in all of our hearts, isn't it? Oh God, I, I thank you, I am not a bad guy. I thank you, I'm a good guy. One guy told me one time a coffee, he said, I was born a Christian. I was like, I mean, you got to be born again, but now you can't, you are born a Christian because you're born again. But like, it's not like something you like get, get, it's not like because of your last name or anything, you don't get, you, you, you have to make a decision of your own free will, whether or not you receive the work of Jesus and his forgiveness and the way he invites you to live. Wait, what? Yeah, it's, it's not, um, it's not like a heritage thing where you just inherit it. It's, it's, it's for everyone. It's right then and there in front of all of us, but it's, it's for everyone because everyone is his child. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I'll ask this next question, but prepare yourself. Like, do you feel better than others? Do you? Why? You ever been honest with yourself? Why you feel better than others? 
You ever felt honest with yourself why you criticize others? Gossip, murmur, complain, detest, can't stand, contort your face when hearing about them or they, her or him, that country, that continent, that people, that, that ethnicity. Whoa, whoa, what's happening to us? Seriously, and quite literally, what's, what's happening to us? Well, it's what's been happening to us for thousands of years. We feel a deficiency. We don't like ourselves. So we prop ourselves up through our acts of morality and ethics, and we look down on others. So by doing, somehow, maybe we might recover the sensation that we're good and we're okay. And maybe, just maybe, one day, we'll end up liking ourselves. What I'm talking about is no small thing, is it? But oh, it matters to God how you view yourself in light of your neighbor. You and your neighbor, you're the same. I know you're fighting over that fence line, but you're the same. That's the truth. And I end with this one last observation, and that is that you as a human being, you are a human keeper, not a human competitor. You know that's what we've been invited into, to be a keeper, a brother's keeper. It's interesting. Cain says to God when he's looking for his brother who he had murdered, where is he? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Oh, Cain, the answer is yes. The first sibling rivalry that ended up in murder. Yeah. He said to God, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, yes, Cain, you are. The answer to that is yes. You are your brother's keeper, not your brother's competitor. You're your brother's keeper. And I think keeper means three things, and I end with this. I think we're supposed to pray for our fellow man. I think we're supposed to protect our fellow man. And I think we're supposed to pronounce blessings over our fellow man. That's right. Particularly those who worship and follow Jesus, I implore you. I would like the opportunity, the luxury, if you will, to speak directly to all those who follow in the path of Jesus and the way of Jesus. You are not a human competitor. You are a human keeper. So keep your brother and keep your sister and keep your neighbor. Oh God, in 2023, we have never needed human keepers more. Where are the human keepers? I see competitors everywhere, competitors within families, competitors within cul-de-sacs and communities, competitors within church, competitors church against church, called to be human keepers, not human competitors. I am you and you are me. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, says Jesus. Oh, one old preacher told me years ago, he said, you, you, you'll, be, you'll be, be real hard to be offended at someone that you pray for on a regular basis. You know that person, the moment their name comes up, your face contorts, and you're like, ugh. 
You know, if you prayed for them on a regular basis, if you are a human keeper and not a human competitor, you'd be shocked to see the healing that could happen in your heart. Pray for them. That's what Jesus said. He said, pray for those who hate you, speak bad about you, curse you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Protect. Are we protectors? Are we exposers? In an age where they're saying cameras are going to be everywhere and this idea of anonymity, the idea of being anonymous, the idea of saying something or doing something that won't be recorded, they say is almost an impossibility in the very near future. Instead of exposing one another, instead of, instead of revealing, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. When I say protect, what I mean is cover. Are we exposers or coverers? Are we willing to cover? I don't mean cover illegal activity or covering someone maliciously hurting other humans. You know what I mean, but I'm talking about covering. They said the wrong thing. They didn't mean it. They weren't there. They didn't follow through. They weren't a good friend. They weren't a good neighbor. He, Dad wasn't there. Mom wasn't there. Cover. Instead of expose and ridicule, cover. Are we protectors? Are we covering? The Bible says love believes the best. It speaks the best. Wow. Wow. Are we praying? Are we protecting? We're human keepers, you know. But lastly, are we pronouncing? You know what's interesting? When it, if you ask me what is the biggest differentiation between a keeper and a competitor, a human keeper and a human competitor, I would say it's the words they use. That's it. It's the words they use. It's the words they use. What words are you using towards humanity? What words are you using specifically towards the people who hurt you the most? Because that'll tell you if you're a human keeper or a human competitor. What's the words? And the Bible says, bless those who curse you. Bless them. Bless them. That doesn't mean that you don't need to discuss with your lawyer <laughs> the details of what's happened. It doesn't mean that you don't need to discuss privately and carefully the pain and the loss and the hurt and the accident. But big picture, around town, while walking on the sidewalk and going to the cafe and shopping in the market, that what comes out of your mouth is blessing. Blessing. Now, I'm going to give you a little tool, and whether or not you use it is totally up to you, but I dare you. How exciting is that? I dare you, and I'm done. I'm closing right here, right now. I dare you with that person or persons who have hurt you, misrepresented you, maligned you, whatever. I mean, really, really hurt you. I dare you to do two things every day for them and ultimately for yourself. Say out loud, I forgive you, use their name, and then say, and God, I declare so-and-so is blessed. Bless them. Bless them. Give them the desires of their heart. It's wild, bro. I, I wish we were, if I could see you, I know you could see me, but if I could see you, I kind of know what your face looks like now. It's like this. 
Some of you are watching on the app right now. So I'm in the living room with some friends and family. You're like, wait, what? Wait, what? Right? Because that's like wild. But that's the way of Jesus. That's, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who's the them? Who's the they? That's you. That's me. We put Jesus on the cross and he said, forgive them. What if we could reflect the way of Jesus? What if we could pray? Well, first of all, forgive and pronounce blessing over our enemies, over those who curse us and spread lies about us. Yeah, that is exactly what I am proposing because I am them. Wow. Wow. We can do it. Come on, keeper. Come on, keeper. There's a keeper in you, not just a competitor. There's a human keeper in you. And I'm calling that human keeper out. And I got news for you. This is the secret to a long marriage. This is the secret to good friends. This is the secret to good parenting. This is the secret to being a good employee. This is the secret to being a good boss. This is the secret. What do you do? You see yourself as the very person that has hurt you, wronged you, that you're annoyed with, frankly hope to never see again. I'm not saying that you got to be best friends or even physically meet up with that person ever again, but I pray that God would give you the energy and the courage to be a human keeper, not a human competitor, that you would forgive and you would pronounce the blessing of God on their life. And you know who will be freer as a result? You. You. And so I end with this one last thought. Me? I'm you. I'm you. We're the same. And we're in this together. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for speaking to us. I love your way. I love how you do what you do. God, you have been so long suffering with me. You have been so patient with me. Oh, God, help me to be patient with my fellow man. Long-suffering with my fellow friends and neighbors. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for forgiving us because we don't know what we're doing. Thank you, God. If you're here and you're watching this and you'd like to receive the free gift of Jesus, you can do that right here, right now. Just by believing. Just believe. Say it right now. Say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. That's it. It's done. You're forgiven forever. Everything he did on the cross, being a fully a human being, but without sin, he could pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. So now we're forgiven forever, set free, and invited into this wonderful journey called the way of Jesus. I love you, church home. I hope this sparks incredible conversation for the next several days. Love you so much. I'll see you real soon.